Couch Talk. Hello and welcome to Couch Talk. We are going to be previewing the uh, upcoming all-important India-England test series. And to help us break it down, we have two gentlemen uh, who don't need much of an introduction. Dilip Premchandran, a freelance journalist uh, from India, whose writings I'm sure you've read on uh, Crickinfo and The Guardian and other such places. And Gary Naylor from England, who writes at the excellent blog 99.94 and is also a commentator on the uh, Test Match Sofa. Gentlemen, the first question is open to both of you. Um, what do you take away from this India tour match at uh, Somerset? I'll let Gary answer that first. It's no surprise to me that India's players have struggled to adjust to July conditions in England. Playing cricket in England is a different proposition to playing cricket either on the subcontinent or in the West Indies, where some of the players uh, have spent the last uh, couple of months or so. And I think if it were England who had arrived, um, let's say, in Mumbai, and we're playing one warm-up game before four tests as uh, closely scheduled as these tests are, then I think there will be questions asked about England's preparation. Um, clearly, there's a, a second innings to go, and, and today Suresh Raina has got himself a, a century. But um, that Somerset side are, are not world beaters. They're county journeyman pros, and they've rather shown up that India have some work to do and very little time in which to do it. Uh, I, I wouldn't be pressing the panic button, though, if I was an Indian supporter, because India traditionally uh, start overseas tours poorly. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, tours in conditions that are usually alien to them. I remember Australia in 2008, where they lost the first two test matches. South Africa, where they were badly beaten at Centurion last December. Uh, this kind of thing tends to happen, and I, I, I think the team would rather get... Uh, performance like this out of the way in a tour game rather than in, in the first test. Uh, the other thing I, I would point to would be the fact that a lot of these players played in the, in the West Indies, and I'm, I'm sure some of them would have preferred time off rather than a game like this. Uh, but at the same time, there are guys who've just come in from India, recovering from injury, who, who need this game time and whatever they get. In the case of bowlers like Zahir Khan, who get better with the number of overs that they bowl, whatever run out he gets in this match would be useful, which is why I don't think India would be too disappointed if Somerset went in, um, and made some more runs over the next two sessions today. Yes, um, my, my point was that uh, some of the Indian seamers are very inexperienced in, in English conditions. Um, Praveen Kumar, I think, has, has not bowled in England before. Ishant Sharma has played some under-19s cricket and World 2020 cricket. Um, Zahir Khan, obviously, is very experienced. Srisant, whether he's experienced or not, he seems to blow hot and cold. And then Munaf uh, Patel is also somewhat inexperienced in the peculiar conditions of, of England, where I can tell you it was very cold and wet yesterday in London, but might be 29, 30 degrees and uh, sunny uh, come Thursday. And the inexperience of that bowling attack, particularly in hitting the, the kind of lengths that, that work in England and making use of, of conditions through the day and through the match, I think they would have benefited from having a bit of uh, confidence behind them, uh, having done well in Taunton. But then again, Taunton is the wicket which is most difficult to bowl on in uh, the whole of England. 
I just think there are similarities here to South Africa in a sense, so because when we went to Durban in December last year around Christmas, the weather was a bit up and down like this. There was a lot of rain about. India had just been completely hammered at Centurion. And again, you had questions being asked about the bowling. But uh, in those kind of conditions, uh, Indian bowlers generally tend to do well. I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened at Taunton because I haven't seen enough footage of the game. I've been busy with other things. But uh, generally in bowler-friendly conditions, Indian pace bowlers do well. I mean, that goes all the way back to even 1986 when Madan Lal came out of league cricket in Northern England to to help India win the series at Headingley in the second test. Yes. Um, I'd be more confident of, of taking a, a player out of league cricket than I would from taking them from a, a dead pudding of a pitch at Sabina Park. Um, it, it, it remains to be, to be seen, but I know that, uh, that English uh, cricket fans were very upset about the lack of preparation for the 2006-07 Ashes, for example, in terms of our bowlers having enough first-class cricket before they, they went into the uh, series. And um, you know, things change. There are different players, different times, but this looks a little bit like that slightly hubristic approach of, of dropping into a country and expecting inexperienced bowlers to hit lines and lengths. But or is it just the FTP? Or is it just the FTP? That's my question. Yeah, I was going to say that point, you know, with the kind of schedules you have these days for international cricket, it's just, if you have one tour match, it's brilliant, you know, because uh, India had no tour matches in West Indies or in South Africa, if I remember correctly. Um, and having one match in Somerset is, you know, one more than nothing. And just to add to that, just to add to that, though, I mean, I've spoken to some of the players about this, and believe me, there are some players who would rather not play a tour match because they say we play so much cricket around the year uh, that we are match fit most of the time. It's just a question of adapting to different conditions, and the experienced guys think they are, uh, you know, they've been around long enough to make that adjustment. So I guess if it's their call and the board goes with that, uh, you know, how, I wouldn't argue with that. No, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, but I'm pretty sure if England are 425 for three, as Somerset were at Taunton, then the finger will be pointed about uh, preparation. If, however, England are 170 all out, uh, this will all be forgotten. The joy of cricket is we don't know until it happens. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Let's uh, look at the team compositions. And um, Gary... Yes. Uh, England seem to have a pretty settled side, and the uh, only question uh, seems to be about one of their fast bowlers. Uh, this is also a question from one of the listeners, uh, Tifosi Guy. Um, the news just came out that uh, Steve Finn has been left out of the 12. Uh, Bresnan and Broad made it. The question is, does Stuart Broad even merit a spot in the 15, let alone 12? That's the question from the listener. Um, Shouldn't Finn be ahead of Broad in the lineup to Lords? And uh, what's your take on the uh, team composition? Well, I know Tifosi Guy, and I'm looking forward to some tweets from him at Test Match Sofa and uh, outside that. Um, he always has interesting views and forthright views, and as many people do about uh, Stuart Broad. Uh, my view is that England have benefited from continuity of selection. Uh, I can recall the 80s when 
caps were being handed out right, left and centre and you just didn't know who was going to turn up and play for England from one test to the next. And that continuity of selection has uh, served England well. In the last eight series, they've won seven and drawn one in South Africa. A bit lucky to get that draw, but a draw in South Africa is always a laudable achievement. Um, so the bigger picture is that, uh, that I agree with continuity of selection. And England have made it clear that Stuart Broad is an important part of their Test 11, as well as being the 2020 skipper. And that's the way that they're going to go. Having said that, I'd be very surprised if Stephen Finn did not play in at least one of the tests before the end of the summer. He has improved his pace, I feel, uh, this summer and is a wicket-taking option for England. What goes against him is that he would imbalance the side because we would be left with a, a bottom four in the order of Swanee, who bats very little these days and can't be relied upon to get the runs he did when he broke into the side a few years ago. Swanee at eight, then there would be um, Anderson at uh, nine or ten, uh, Tremlett at uh, ten or eleven, and Finn at, uh, at ten or eleven as well. Now, they are probably one number nine, two number tens, and an eleven, and I don't think you can go into the first test of a, a series uh, in that way. So England have picked a bowling option at uh, number eight that strengthens their late order, particularly with Matt Pryor playing so well at seven. If he was left not out 36, for example, at the end of an innings, that would be a, a tremendous waste for England, particularly in the, in the first test, which is so important not to lose in a four-test series. So I think they'll go with Bresnan. I think uh, England believe in, in Bresnan. Um, they believe in Broad too, but I think Bresnan's just edged ahead. And uh, I expect Bresnan to be the call come Thursday morning. But it'll be a tight one, and it wouldn't surprise me a jot if Broad uh, wasn't selected. The next question's for you, Dilip. What is uh, your take on the Indian 11 for the Lord's Test? From uh, what you've seen, looks like Suresh Raida has definitely moved on ahead of uh, Yuvraj. And uh, what is your take on the absence of Sehwag for at least two tests? And uh, how, does it, how is it going to affect the chances of India winning the series? I look at it in two ways. Uh, Sehwag at the top is, is a huge, huge asset. I mean, you're talking about the one batsman in the history of the game who averages over 50 while having a strike rate of 80-plus or whatever it is. Uh, replacing that kind of impact is, is difficult. But... At the same time, you look at the South Africa series where India came back after losing the first test. He played very little role in that comeback. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying it means India can't win the series. It sometimes doesn't matter whether he succeeds or fails. I mean, you look back at the Cape Town test last January and he had a poor tour. He hadn't really looked like scoring that many runs. But despite all of that, uh, South Africa's declaration on the final day was completely dependent on the fact that he was in the side. Without him there, I'm quite sure they would have declared much earlier, had to go at India the previous evening, maybe taken wickets early, and who knows what might have happened then. But just the very fact that he was there, that implicit threat was enough to delay the declaration. And it's happened before. I mean, he came off once against England in Chennai in 2008, that H3 of 68 balls completely transformed the run chase. And just the fact that he is in the side 
affects, completely scrambles the way the other team thinks, regardless of what form he's in. What it does do is maybe make the team management think about going a little out of the box, maybe asking Dravid to open perhaps, rather than risking a fairly inexperienced opener at Lords. Could we maybe, uh, maybe reject the order a little bit so that uh, Yuvraj plays as well as Rainer? And perhaps Javid gets to open the innings. Uh, that's obviously dependent on whether he offers to do the job or not, or whether they even want him to. But uh, perhaps it's an idea worth considering. As to the bowling, um, that's a tricky one, because Srishant's not played uh, since the IPL, apart from this one tour game. Uh, Zahir hasn't either. Uh, Praveen Kumar had a very strong series in the West Indies, so he comes into contention. Ishan definitely has to play. He's a He's the quick bowler in form. Uh, I'd probably go with the three of uh, Zahir, Ishan, and stick with Shishan for the first test simply because he gives you maybe a pacier version of Praveen uh, in terms of bowling out swing, and he can do more with the older ball as well. Okay. All right. So this question is open to both of you. Uh, in my opinion, the bowling lineups of both teams uh, under helpful conditions cancel each other out. Uh, Dilip touched on it earlier about how India have, uh, Indian bowlers have performed really well under helpful conditions in South Africa and elsewhere. Um, so then it comes down to a battle of the middle orders. Do you agree? Why? Why not? And if you do agree, who has got the more firepower uh, in the middle order to win the series? Uh, if, I, if I go first, I'd say I'm not quite sure I agree with the bowling thing either because England, uh, especially in the Ashes uh, series last year, were far more consistent as a bowling unit than I've seen India be uh, in the last year or so. Uh, the fear with India is that if Zahir has a bad test match, uh, your fallback options might not do the job for you. Whereas with England, uh, even if Anderson doesn't get you wickets up front, there's still enough threat in that uh, lineup with helpful conditions to run through a side. I'm not quite sure uh, that uh, Shishant is in that state of mind right now. Uh, and like Gary said slightly uh, before this, it's Shishant's first proper test tour of England. So interesting to see how he adjusts. Uh, so I'm, I'm not quite sure the bowling's that even. I'd, I'd put it 55-45 in favour of England. Gary? Yes, I would, I would agree with the bowling being 55-45 in favour of England in England. And I'd line up the, the batting orders as being um, pretty much uh, equal, uh, I would say. Um, India's batting lineup is tremendously strong, but uh, this is the best... English top seven I can recall in my time of watching cricket, so that's 35 years or so, um, they really do have the, the bases covered. And one of the things that will play into uh, England's hands, I think, in terms of the batting is that uh, MS Dhoni, for all of his success as a captain, is, does take a rather conservative approach. I do expect him to go on the defensive quite early in uh, test matches if Zahir hasn't broken through. And there are no two batsmen better suited to uh, chugging along at uh, three runs per over without any risk than um, Alistair Cook and Jonathan Trott. And I can see that uh, whole hours will go by in this series 
with one slip in place, uh, a ring field, a couple of men out deep, third man and a fine leg. And Jonathan Trott and Alistair Cook scoring uh, 70 or 80 runs in a session. And uh, if that happens, we're going to get some draws. Um, but India won't win because India are going to have to take these English uh, top seven order out in order to um, get wins in English conditions. Uh, talking about India's batting, I think it's uh, going to be very interesting to see what sort of run rates they keep up without Sehwag there. I can see Gautam Gambhir going along at about four and over because he runs his singles so well and he's very good at finding the gaps. I'm not so sure about some of the others. Tendulkar in South Africa, especially in the Cape Town tests against Dale Stain was outstanding. The way, not just the way he saw up some of the spells, but the way he kept the scoreboard moving. Uh, Lakshman tends to do, do that too. Uh, but in recent times, Javed at number three hasn't really provided uh, that sort of impetus when you look at some of the other number threes that are around now. So it'll be interesting to see whether that batting order has changed at all to, to, with one eye on the run rates. Hmm. Yes, I, I recall watching Javed in um, the New Zealand series in the autumn and he seemed to, to make a conscious decision to improve his strike rate um, quite deep into his, his innings. But for an hour, an hour and a half, he was blocking half volleys. And uh, that's a dangerous thing to do in, in any form of cricket. He ended up getting the, the century that he needed. But had he not done so, then uh, he would have uh, blocked uh, some good scoring opportunities. And the way cricket is played these days... Um, it's, it's about aggression. It's about making things happen. And uh, I think that's a very good point about the, the top three uh, as it stands at the moment in uh, the India order. Okay. Uh, since we're talking about the batting, let's, uh, uh, you know, Dilip has already talked about Sehwag, um, and you guys have talked about the middle orders. Um, what about the openers? Um, you know, Alistair Cook has been in tremendous form, but Strauss seemed to struggle against Sri Lanka, um, and India will be, in all probability, bringing in um, somebody new to partner um, Gambier, you know, Abhinav Mukun. Cook and uh, Strauss, they haven't faced quality left-arm swing uh, in a while, and the last time they did, they struggled. That was against Pakistan last year. So what is your take on uh, both openers? Well, I'll, I'll go first, I think, this time with, uh, with Cook and Strauss. Uh, yes, yeah, Strauss, has, uh, as is well known, is, is not in a great trot of form at the moment. Um, he hasn't scored a, a century for some time, and he keeps getting out to left-arm uh, swing bowlers. But, the, again, the bigger picture is that he's, he's captaining the side who, who are winning test series. So if he's not doing something right individually, that the team are gathering round him. And what we, we know from Strauss is that he, he delivers when it matters. And when England needed that, uh, that uh, 100 in the uh, ashes in the winter, he, he did deliver that and, and really turn the series with England ending up 519 for, for one, um, drawing the match and giving the springboard to, to winning that series. There are some concerns about Strauss, but he, he won't be dropped. And he's too good a player not to come back into form. But he does have some work to do against the, the lefties, you're, you're right. 
Uh, of course, the lefties have got to be able to deliver uh, against him uh, too. Alistair Cook, in the form of his life, Jonathan Trott averaging 60 or something in, in test cricket, uh, KP at four, always a, a handful, not in the, in the greatest form, but as likely to come good as, as anyone. Uh, I'd take that top four um, for England and uh, let India bowl to them. So I'm confident of the top four and uh, look forward to a real battle, especially with Zahir. Yeah, the, the Indian openers, are, I, like I said, I would give some thought to whether you went in with two specialist openers at Lord's being there. To, uh, to start with, there's all this hype about the 2000s test and, you know, battle for number one and all of that. Uh, you want a 21-year-old to go in there and do well, but I'm, I'm not sure uh, that would be the way I think. I mean, I, I would maybe think just for one test match, why not promote an experienced guy who's batted at number three and come in at 10, 10 for one most of his life, ask him to open and, and beef up your middle order a little bit. But if Mukum does open, uh, you know, he showed some good signs in the West Indies. He was prepared to buy this time, wait for his chance. And those were not easy pitches to bat on. I mean, Sabina Park and uh, Barbados both had something going for the bowlers. Uh, he, I think he made a 48 in one test and a 62 in, in, in the last one. So there were certainly good signs there. Uh, but I'm... I'm not quite certain I'd want to go with, go in with him for the first test. I think it's very important as well at Lords because the way Lords has played since its new drainage system went in a few years ago is that it gets flatter and easier to bat on over the five days. So the the first uh, few sessions are, are critical, and um, England will want to to get at uh, Tendulkar. Uh, Dravid and, and Latchman as soon as they can. So um, if he's if he is struggling at all, or if there is there are any doubts about him, then uh, then Lords would be the the one test where England would really want to get uh, make that first hour count. I think back to the last test India played at Lords as well, where again, like Gary mentioned, I think the first innings scores were two ninety odd for England, two hundred and one for India and then both sides made 280 odd in the second inning so it did get progressively easier to bat on as the match went on uh, again we had very overcast conditions for a lot of that match there was some rain about too we could get all of that again this time uh, and I'm just not sure a, a young man who's not played much in these conditions at all would be the right pick in those circumstances Let's talk a bit about the captains. Andrew Strauss has led uh, England admirably, and Dhoni has won pretty much everything in sight. But recently, um, they both offered uh, draws. Uh, Andrew Strauss at Lords versus Sri Lanka, and of course, there was a huge uproar over Dhoni uh, offering draw at Dominica. Uh, but they are pretty shrewd, hard-nosed captains. Um, Who's got the edge? I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the whole captaincy myth. At the end of the day, you need your 10 other players to really perform. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't matter how good you are. Um, I, I, I wasn't so bothered about what happened in, the, in Dominica, to be honest. I, I might have been had India played a full-strength 11 and not gone after those runs. But with five first-team players missing, I didn't think it was that big a deal. The series was in the bag. The pitch... 
wasn't uh, certainly wasn't malicious. There wasn't any menace there, but it it wasn't the kind of pitch where you could really go along at six and over either. So I, I didn't make too much of that. Um, the the Strauss thing again. You know, he's he's been in charge of a very good side for two years now. I mean, they've won pretty much wherever they've played. They were very good in Australia last winter. If for any captain, if your if your new ball bowlers and your frontline spinner are taking lots of wickets and your top four are making hundreds of runs, then it makes your job a lot easier. Yes, I, I concur with that. I think both captains are conservative and lack a bit of imagination on the field, but both do their best work off the field. They they set a tone and they set a context for their players, which is about professionalism about an expectation of excellence and deal with the periphery of uh, of cricket the press the media the fans all the hullabaloo particularly well and i think that allows their charges to go out there and express themselves with bat or ball um both men i think are, are, are similar or they strike me as similar in personality they're they're not similar in the way they go about their batting but in personality they seem very calm they seem very measured in their approach, and they're very much the leaders of their team, despite the big personalities that uh, that are under them. Um, I like both of them as, as captains, and I don't think there's much to choose between them. We'll take a couple of questions, listener questions, and then we'll get to the um, all-important question at the end, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, first question from uh, Chandan3. Um, he says that... Um, He's heard that the Duke ball hasn't swung this season at all. Will it handicap India only or England too? Well, uh, swing is a is a capricious mistress. It comes and goes. It can come and go in a session. It can come and go in a in a, a day. It can come and go over a series. Um, I think there's a, a lot talked about conditions and a lot talked about the ball and various other things and. Nobody's ever convinced me that there's a kind of switch can, that can be turned on and off with, with swing. Uh, Jimmy Anderson certainly swings the ball on, on most days. Stuart Broad swings it sometimes and sometimes he, he doesn't. Uh, Tramlett swung it a bit at, uh, at Cardiff to wrap up uh, Sri Lanka. Um, Zahir Khan swings it most days as well. But there's so much that seems mysterious about swing, whether conventional or reverse. I think we'll We'll take it if we get it from the bowlers, and if we don't get it, then bowlers have got to fall back on, on other strategies. And really, I think that's where the, the swing bowlers make their, their, their livings, uh, really. Anybody can swing it when, the, when it's really going, and uh, you know, it's, often it's a difficulty to avoid bowling wides. But can they control the swing when it's happening for them, and do they have other options uh, when it's not swinging? I think on that, on that question... Uh, of how the bowlers adapt to conditions which are in their favour or which are against them. I think that will uh, decide the series one way or the other. Uh, just to add to that, I mean, I uh, agree with pretty much everything that Gary said. Uh, I think that there are no two Duke balls that are the same in the first place. Uh, that's the great thing about cricket balls. I mean, you, you suddenly have a team, uh, have a change of ball midway through a session and... and Bowlers who hadn't been getting it to swing all day will suddenly be getting it to go like uh, 
I don't know, like a boomerang or something. I've seen that happen so many times in test matches with just a ball change. Uh, the last time I saw it was probably in, in Nagpur with Dale Stain just before or just after a T-interval when he just went berserk with a, with a changed ball. And, and that, I think that would be the same this summer. It won't just be whether the bowlers are in form or whether they're swinging it. It might just depend on which ball they get to use, <laughs> which ball comes out of the pavilion. So, it, like Gary said, it's a very inexact science. Nobody really knows for sure whether it's going to go or not. And let's just see what happens. Okay. Next question is again from a Tifosi guy. Um, this might be to Gary, but Dilip, feel free to chime in. Um, England have three captains for the three formats. Does it have any effect on Strauss' performance as a captain in test matches? No. Dilip? No, no. I mean, you look, you look at Australia, uh, I think for two years after uh, Steve Waugh lost his uh, one-day captaincy, Ponting was one-day captain. He won a World Cup during that time in uh, March 2003. I, I don't think it made the slightest bit of difference. It, it makes a big difference if a team's doing badly, not when it's doing well. Okay, this brings us to the most important question. Uh, what do you think will be the uh, scoreline? at the end of the test series, and why? Gary, you want to go first? I'll go, I'll go first then. Um, I think it will be 1-0 to England. I think the weather will play a part. Um, I think it may be difficult to get uh, more, than, more than one or two results out of this series, particularly with the strength of the batting. I think what will, what will make the difference will probably be Trent Bridge or maybe Edgbaston. I'm expecting two draws in London. And I think what will make that difference is the experience of the English bowlers in making use of English conditions. So I'm going with 1-0 to England um, with the experience of English bowlers, not just the five who are picked for uh, this test match, but our backup bowlers as well. Uh, I'll agree with Gary on the two draws in London. That's what I have down as well. But I'm going for 1-1 as a series result. Uh, I, I just think India get progressively better as the series goes on. And uh, even if they perhaps lose at Trent Bridge, I can see them coming back in the next game. Generally, this is a side that's done its best work when in a sticky situation. I saw that at the Eden Gardens against uh, South Africa a year and a half ago when they lost very badly in Nagpur, again at uh, Durban against South Africa, and a uh, couple of times against Australia. I mean, the series scoreline was 2-0, very deceptive scoreline because both those test matches could have gone either way. And uh, this is a team that's tended to do best when pushed into a corner, so I can see them coming back even if they start badly. So I'm going for 1-1. Well, I would certainly have 1-1 as my second scoreline. It's much more likely than 2-0 to England. So there's not much between us, Dilip. All right, gentlemen. Um, thanks for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure um, having you both. Hope uh, we can talk again after the test series. Sure, anytime. I hope so. I hope to perhaps speak uh, up at uh, Trent Bridge. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, uh, I'll be at uh, Lords of day four and five, I think, and uh, at definitely at Trent Bridge. So I hope to meet with you, gentlemen. Yeah. Sure. Take care, mate. Cheers. And you, Dilip. Cheers. Thanks, Subash. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.
Couch Talk.